This is the Jocko Underground Podcast, number 83, with Echo Charles sitting across from me. So here's, uh, I'm not a huge quote guy, but occasionally, gotta throw them out there. Mm-hmm. Here's one. Perseverance alone does not assure success. No amount of stalking would lead to game in a field that has none. That's a quote from the, the I Ching, which is the ancient Chinese text. Kind of has some mysterious origins, but uh, believed to have been compiled by a group of sages. Mm. I like when you can use the, the term sage yeah. in a legitimate way. Yeah. Not calling some person on Instagram a sage, yes. but to say an ancient sage. Yeah, a real one. A group of sages who were trying to understand you know, the nature of life and the nature of the universe and whatnot. So, I, you know what, and perhaps on the Jonko podcast at some point we'll cover the entire text of the I Ching, but the, this, the reason that this, this reading this, I, I decided, hey, this might be something worth bringing up, this quote of perseverance alone is not a sure success, no amount of stalking will lead to game in a field that has none, is because, interestingly, right now, in this world of hustle culture, in this world of, did you make up the term toxic productivity? No, I, th- I thought it was your daughter. Okay, <laughs> okay, maybe my daughter made it up. But you can see how if you're a toxic productivity human, or you're all on board for the hustle culture, which let's face it, hey, hustle, I'm down. Right? Hustle culture. Yeah, let's go. Let's get stuff done. Let's make things happen. But this is an important thing to remember. It's in line with that conversation which we've talked about. We talked about on the game podcasts. You know, which game are you playing? You're playing soccer or playing basketball? You know, in in soccer, you can only score a point, maybe two points. And in basketball, you can score 30. Mm -hmm. So, what game are you playing? And in this one, the, what made me think that this was even more relevant because I started thinking of being in a field, stalking for game, right? Stalking for an animal to hunt. Well, when you're stalking, you're crawling, you're low crawling, you're sneaking. You can't see very much at all. You certainly can't see the whole field that you're stalking in, in order to tell whether there's any game in there or not. Look, you might be following a trail, but you don't know how long that trail goes for. You don't know how far it goes. You, you have no idea. So what happens with us is we, it's very easy for us to get caught up in the stalk. It's very easy for us to get caught up in the hunt. And it's exciting, right? It's engaging on the trail. You're, you're, you're stalking. It, it's good. You, victory's around, as far as you can tell, victory might be around the next bush. That could be happening. But if you're not careful, you just might be hunting in a field that has no animals in it. There's no game in there. So... You have to detach, and I, I realize that I use the term detach all the time, mm-hmm. and it's real easy for me to throw it out there because I know what I'm talking about. So what, am I mean, what I mean here is actually stopping working for an hour on a Saturday or for an hour on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. 
Stop your hustle culture. Stop your toxic productivity. Actually stop that and write down what you're doing, where you're going, and how you plan to get there. That's all it takes, right? Actually write down, where am I right now? Where am I right now? Wait, where is it that I wanna go? And then how do I plan to get there? That's what this is. If you write things down, it helps you detach from them, and then you can look and you can say, wait a second, I know where I wanna be, and this job that I'm in isn't getting me there. This path that I'm on isn't gonna get me there. This methodology that I'm using is not gonna get me there. So once you write this down, once you detach from it, once you assess what is actually happening, then you can either get back to hunting in the field, because you're in the right field, in the correct field, Mm -hmm. or you can go and move to a different field where there is some game that you can hunt. That's it. That's what I got for today. That's my underground output for today. Watch out for it. Yeah, yeah, the hustle culture, and I'm still trying to get a grasp on it. Um, where, if I'm not mistaken, tell me what you think. Where you hustle? Okay, you have all these sort of leaders in the community, right? Who hustle, and they're all, but they're successful. So it's kind of like, and they and they really advocate for the hustle. Mm-hmm. So and then you have certain followers who embrace the idea of hustle, but meanwhile they're not getting success. But it doesn't matter mm-hmm. because the culture is the hustle itself. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, and then of course social media and the internet in general sort of can proliferate just the 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 attitude because of the payoff, because of the additional payoff, meaning if you can, if I can hustle, if I can, uh, you know, power through 100 emails today, sent out, you know, 100 more, um, made 12 cold calls, I don't know, whatever the, whatever we're doing. And if I did all that, regardless of the results, regardless of the mistakes I made or didn't make, regardless of the result, if I did all that, that gets kind of commended, like, hell yeah, hustle on brother, you know, they get the, the support. So they get a big payoff, yep. big one. You know, uh, uh, what do you call it? admiration or respect from your mm-hmm. peers is one of the best payoffs. It, yeah, this is you're exactly you're talking exa- exactly why I brought bring this up, and you're bringing it to a point where people will, try, will understand. I think I, I didn't do a good job. I didn't do this justice. Here's what you got to watch out for. Look, everyone says these days, you know, you got to enjoy the process, right? Yeah. You got to enjoy the process. You like focus on the process, and there's a reason that people say that, and it makes sense. Mm. Here's the thing. If you're focusing on the process, but there are no results coming, mm. you're making a mistake. Mm. What, when people say, hey, just enjoy the process, what they say is you can't go out and try and sell your widget for one day and be like, we didn't get any sales, or even a week and be like, we didn't get any sales. Mm. Oh, I enjoy the process, so I'm gonna go out and bang on more doors tomorrow, yeah, good job. But at a certain point, You've got to assess and say, wait a second, I haven't sold any widgets in a month and a half. I keep getting told no. Yeah. Hey, I get, I get I might need to ask 100 people to get two yeses, but if I asked 500 people and I've got no yeses, now you need to start to assess not just the process, but what is the actual widget that you're selling? What is the actual game that you're in? This is where it can be a problem. Here's, you know, you're a workout guy. I'm a workout guy. 
if you have someone that's following a program, like, oh, I'm gonna do whatever they're gonna do. Hey, from now on, we're gonna take the, uh, we're gonna do high repetition workouts. Okay, cool. So you start doing that. You're not gonna see results tomorrow. You're not gonna see results in a week. But if you're doing super lightweight and very extreme high repetitions and you're trying to get bigger and stronger, you might be gaining endurance, but you might certainly might not be getting bigger and you certainly might not be getting stronger. So if you just embrace the process and you keep on the grind and you keep doing these massive high repetition exercises, but you're not getting the results that you want, eventually you need to say, oh, my approach is wrong. I need a new strategy. Yeah, Yeah. there was saying, there was this guy, Sal DeStefano, he's a trainer. He he said something that I I totally agree with where he's like, the man who enjoys walking will walk farther than the man trying to get to where he's walking to something along those lines and i was like yeah that's true and given now given what you're saying it's like man the bigger a big picture look at it's like it's kind of a one might say dichotomy right where it's like a man who really loves walking and wants to get somewhere he really has to want to get to that place as well because if a man just loves walking he might as well just walk on the treadmill and then that's the same as these, these hustle culture guys who are just hustling for the sake of hustling. They're just on a treadmill. They're not going nowhere. Yep. See what I'm saying? Yep. So, yeah, that, that second part of it, I think, is, is important, you know, especially, you know, you bring to light, make it a lot more clear. And you used to say this, and you still say it, where you're like, what are you doing right now? <laughs> what are you doing right now? You're like, Frank, bruh, if you can ask yourself that, ask yourself that question once a day. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you doing right now? Yeah. And it kind of helps because even just that simple question, which actually seems kind of ambiguous on the surface, bro, that is a deep question. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that'll help. You used to say to those young SEAL officers, there'd be like mayhem going on. Be like, what are you doing right now? And you can see they didn't know what they were doing or whatever they were doing wasn't making any sense. And they, as soon as they asked themselves, wait, what am I doing right now? Why am I standing in this building? Why am I, you know, talking on the radio right now when there's total chaos going on? Like they would figure out by assessing what they were doing that they weren't doing the right thing. Yeah. So it's a good question to ask yourself. Yeah. Maybe even more than once a day. Yeah. Or even the, sometimes when the answer is I don't know or dang, I never even thought about it. I was just sort of doing this thing right now. You know, this thing. I think that's what hits me a lot of the time. Yeah. I was like, shit, I thought that's what I was doing, but I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> you know? I better think about that one. No. Check. All right, let's get in some Q&A. Right, first got? question. Hey guys, I'm a foreman for an electrical contractor. We're finishing a multi-million dollar project. I was leading 15 guys throughout a five-story project with an out with an outbuilding. Upper management would look for updates, and I would ask the crew about progress updates rather than physically tracking them down and visually inspecting each individual's work. Come to find out, not everyone was transparent with their progress. This has cost the company significant amounts of money, significant amounts of money due to added labor going back to things that were reported as complete. My upper management is not mad at me as an individual or blaming me, but insists it is the guys in the field. Upper management wants me to micromanage individuals moving forward to prevent this from happening again. There has to be a better strategy. Well, first of all, let me say you get what you inspect, not what you expect. That's from Hackworth. That being said, if you explain what is expected and you explain why it's expected, 
And if you if you inspect often enough that people understand or that that you understand what's happening and that people understand that what is expected and that it will be inspected and if you give the people the support that they need and maybe that might be a little attention and maybe that might be a little micromanagement when they're falling behind if you do those things you're going to get people to do what they're supposed to do you so you need to set up some progress tracks checks that actually happen with some visual inspections and if people are doing what they're supposed to be doing when they're supposed to be doing it and they consistently do that then you begin to have trust with them and and they start to understand you and now you can give them some room to breathe which is fine so I think what's worrying you right now is when they say they want you to micromanage them the correct answer is most likely in this situation that you do need to micromanage them as a corrective tool, but not as a permanent system, right? So you've got to micromanage people until they understand what the expectations is, until they understand why it's important, until they understand why they're doing what they're doing, and then you can start to give them more and more freedom to operate on their own. But I will, if I have somebody that's not doing what they're supposed to be doing, I will micromanage them. If, if If I wake up on a Wednesday morning and I inspect that the podcast has been posted and it hasn't been posted, guess what I do? I micromanage Echo Charles. Text him, hey man, are we, we, we recorded these podcasts. Are we worried about putting these things up? Are we putting them up? <laughs> well, it goes a little different than that, but yeah, I get your but, point. But if this was something that, look, that, that actually hasn't been a problem, but if this was a consistent problem, then I would micromanage you and be like, hey man, what time are you launching this thing tomorrow? Like I would wanna know what yeah, time. Yeah. Hey, shoot me a text when this thing gets launched. That's the kind of micromanagement. And then over time, you you would start doing it consistently. You would realize how important it was. You'd realize how much I was gonna g- bother you if you didn't do it when it was supposed to be done. And all of a sudden, you would start to manage yourself and then I wouldn't have to micromanage you anymore. So micromanagement as a corrective tool, yes, and I think your bosses probably mean that I don't think they want you to permanently micromanage them. It's not a good, it's not a good, micromanagement is not a good permanent system anyways. But it can be used effectively as a temporary corrective tool to make people do things right. And, and you can also actually explain this because you don't want to be micromanaged, Echo. But if I say, hey man, listen, the last three podcasts haven't gone out on time. For now, I'm actually going to text you when it's the, when they're due and I'm going to have you text me when you post them so that way we have a little checks going on to make sure it happens. Mm. It's kind of feels like micromanagement but we've missed three podcast launches that we can't do that. So I'm going to this is going to be a little bit of micromanagement. So I'm actually going to tell you why I'm doing it. Yeah. And that way it's going to encourage you to actually take ownership. And no one likes getting micromanaged. Actually, let me rephrase that. Very few people like getting micromanaged. Some people just want to be told what to do and they're going to do it. Yeah. They, they, they don't want to think. They just want to you know, do what they're told to do. So that's what I would do here. Use the micromanagement as a tool. Even explain up the chain of command. Hey, look, I'm not going to, I'm going to train them properly. I did a bad job training them. I did a bad job setting expectations. I did a bad job with follow-up and making sure that they understood what was happening. Explain that up the chain of command and then explain it down the chain of command. Hey, here's what's going on. Here's why this is going to feel like micromanagement because you are about to get micromanaged until we get this right. We we cost the money. We cost the company money. That's not a good thing. We didn't come through for our client the way we should have. So 
this next job, next couple of jobs, you're gonna feel me. It's a little bit of micromanagement going on until we build that trust back up. That's what's happening. Mm-hmm. Boom. There you go. Cool. Remember the time you micromanaged my driving? Mm, oh, is that when we were driving up to Northern California? Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, and I was like, yeah, LA. why don't I do nav? <laughs> no, I missed a turn. And then, and then did I say, why don't I do now? Yeah, you're like, boom. And then like when, and you really micromanaged it, which actually I understood already. So I understood, but it was very interesting to see it in a navigation driving scenario mm-hmm. with me um, in action. Cause you were like, you weren't a dick about it, even though like, okay, maybe you're doing it to be funny or whatever. Funny, yeah. yeah. Cause you were every little, like every little thing. The turn is going to come up. You said the turn is going to come up here in this amount of time, yeah. in this amount of time, probably like four times. Mm-hmm. Right turn coming up. Right, right turn, right turn, right turn. And it's we, this one right here. For a little one. while in the teams when we were driving uh, in convoys, we would do that. Yeah. Like, you know, right turn coming up in f- 500 yards. Right turn coming up in 200 mm-hmm. yards. Right turn 100 yards. Right turn coming up. Right turn, right turn, right turn. Oh, that yeah, like on a serious like, level. Like, like that, was serious level. Yep, huh. that was the protocol. Yep, that was the protocol. Yeah, Everyone knew what was going on. Yeah. Well, we didn't miss that. So, yeah, man. Yeah. We did that for a little while, then we had to come up with some different protocols for various reasons. But when we started, that was a way. Legit. All right. Next question. Jocko, if the United States was to was engaged in total war with another country and you had had the power to restructure deployments where the troops didn't come home until the war was over, would you make that change? Between currently reading about about face and listening to Civil War series, this thought popped into my mind. Um, well, so if I was in charge, you know, if I was the emperor of America, <laughs> would I make this change? Um, yes, actually I would. I would make that change. And there's a, f- a few reasons why I would make that chart change. The number one reason that I would make that change is it would make America think very, very hard before we actually decide to go to war. Because right now it's easy to throw, it's easy to throw, you know, some army guys or some marines over there for six month deployment, or some army guys over there for a twelve month deployment, or maybe a thirteen month deployment. Hey, uh, you know, it's sort of like it's, it's real easy to do that. Mm. It's real easy for the politicians to do that because they're not really impacting that f- whatever family that's going to lose their dad or lose their mom for three years, or even worse, for an indefinite amount of time. So just to get the politicians to freaking think through what they were doing and get the American populace to say, well, do we really want to sign up for this thing right now? Do I really want to watch my son, daughter, husband, wife go and fight right now for an indefinite amount of time? That's a that's a big, that's a huge difference than well, you know, look, guys are going to go on deployment. It's going to be a one-month deployment or a six-month deployment or whatever. So, you know, I have that statement, which I make a lot of, before you go to war, you got to make sure you have the will to kill, meaning that people are going to die, civilians are going to die, making sure that you have the will to die, meaning you are going to lose people, but also add into that mix, make sure that you have the will to not see Husbands, wives, sons, daughters for years. And is this war that we're talking about going into, is it actually worth all of that? Do we have the will for those things? So that's what I would think about. Uh, Number two reason, continuity. 
So the, the team on the troops on the ground, you make progress and you get to see that progress continue or you see it don't continue. Right? So, so the team that's on the ground gets to know the people that you're working with, the, the enemy that you're fighting, the terrain that you're in, the progress of the war, the habits of the culture. Like you get to learn all these things for real. You actually get to see what's working, what's not working. Because look, if, I, if Echo, if you're on deployment right now and I say your mission is to go uh, capture bad guys. And so you start going capture bad guys, but it's not really having impact. How much are you going to do to change it? Because you're going to go home in, in four more months anyways. And you're yeah. kind of like, well, you know, I'll just do my job and then I'll go home. Yeah. There's no ownership. If you're like, hey, we've been doing this type of job for nine months, it hasn't made any impact, we better change, I better change my strategy, we better change our strategy, we need to straighten things out. If we do that, then we not only have continuity, but we start to have ownership of what's happening on the ground because I wanna go home. Echo wants to go home. Like six months, nine months, a year, 18 months, 24 months. Bro, I'm gonna win some shit. <laughs> We're gonna win. You start keeping Americans away from their family for that long, they're gonna figure out how to win. And that is a real thing that happens. This, you know, you're talking about Hackworth, what happened, this started in Korea. In World War II, you were, in, you were gone until it, we won. You went to war until we won. About halfway through the Korean War, they started saying, hey, once you've been here for a year, we'll send you home. Well, what happens at nine months? What's my attitude in nine months? Mm. My attitude's kind of like, oh, I kind of really, I've made it this far. How poor is that hill over there? Wait, well, can't you just, can't, maybe they should attack that hill in three months and three days when I'm gone. <laughs> Whereas if I'm looking at it going, hey, look, if I don't take that hill, I'm gonna be here forever. If I take that hill tonight, that gives us one, one step closer to being home. So there's an attitude change that happens amongst the troops. And you know that, that kind of ties in, the last thing is just like fighting to win. Not fighting for an award, not fighting to get a good evaluation, not fighting to get some bullet points for you know, your job when you get out. But you now are looking going, hey, we're gonna do this mission, this mission is gonna help us win. When I win, I get to go home to my family. So, I hate to say it because it's hard, but I think that's the right way to fight wars. You deploy, you go to fight until we win. And that makes America think about what the hell we're getting ourselves into. Because even, even, your, even your freaking G.I. Joe gung-ho soldiers like, man, there's a war going on, I kinda wanna go. Hmm. But when you say you wanna go indefinitely, every, just about every person in the military is gonna pump the brakes a little bit. Sure, there's a few people that are like, oh, I'll fight until, don't care for the last 10 years. A couple of people like that, not many, not many. So I think that that is a, that's what I would do to answer your question. Check, next question. Yeah, yeah and that second part was actually a crazy point that I, I never thought about where you, know, you go if, some people like if they go in for almost like going for the stats, you know, I can mm -hmm. go and get oh, yeah. some stats and then I'm going to come right home, you know, kind of a thing. Yep. Oh, that's crazy, huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's crazy. especially when so much promotion relies on that. That's what happened in Vietnam. Like yeah. in Vietnam, the 
you know, you'd be a battalion commander for like four months or something like that. Mm-hmm. Three months, six months. Mm-hmm. And you just go there, get your checks, you get your uh, box checked, and then you could be viable for promotion. Yeah. If you weren't doing that, if you weren't a platoon commander, if you weren't a, a company commander, a battalion commander, they're like, oh, you haven't been. To me. So guys were just doing it to get that qualification. Oh, yeah. Damn. That's crazy. Yeah, it's it's crazy not being you know in the military. All these little details that happen that man you don't even think about. That's crazy. Next question. Jocko, I'm a longtime listener, fan of the podcast, and interested in your advice for my current situation. Specifically, I helped my boyfriend of several years with a job application for a place I've worked at for over five years. He admitted that he became interested in the position because of me and got the job with my help. But when I then he unexpectedly dumped me the day after he got the offer letter because he didn't want to quote unquote work with someone he was dating. Sorry for sorry for snickering at that. It's just uh, the 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 irony of that made me made me snicker a little bit. You know, it's like here you are totally helping someone out, and then you get unexpectedly dumped. So yeah. rough. Kind of for the reason, yeah. Like anyway, uh, I'm trying to ignore and outperform. But I can't help but feel angry, manipulated, manipulated, and taken advantage of after all this, especially since he is so unbothered by the situation. What is your advice for me going forward, having to work with someone who behaved this way? Thanks. Uh, you know, clearly, uh, well, well, there's uh, there's some really good stuff that came out of this. Even though I know it doesn't feel like it right now, but listen, here's what you learned. You learned that this individual is not a good long-term partner, which is awesome, right? You were going out with this person for a few years, right? Is that what it says? Several years you've had this person as a boyfriend. Several years you've invested into it. And thankfully, you don't you're, you didn't make any kind of real commitment. You don't you're not married, you don't have any kids, and you learned that this person is a bad person. A bad person. You wouldn't want to be you wouldn't you you should be thankful that you didn't make a long-term commitment now look you could be mad because you did you know expend a bunch of years in your life you could be mad about that okay that doesn't help you i would rather be like oh great now i know that this person is not worthy of my time anymore and i can move on you also learn that that guess what trust is a risk when you trust people there's risk there sometimes you're going to get burned that, that's what happens some people are bad people and, and when you put trust in other people, sometimes you can get burned. So you gotta be, be careful with how much leverage you give people. You gotta be careful with how much trust you give people and you gotta let it build up slowly over time, which it sounds like you were doing. But to, to just make sure that your mindset is right, be thankful that you didn't you know, get long-term connected and committed to this individual. You're getting out easy. How would you like to be married with two kids and find out that this guy's a uh, dirtbag? This is it's a totally different scenario. You're getting out of this like scot-free. You're getting out of this with some good lessons learned. So let's be stoked about that. What would I do in this situation if I were you? The, you know, My advice for going forward, having to work with someone who's behaved this way, my, my advice would be totally professional. Be totally professional. Totally take the high ground. Treat him just like professional, like, oh, hey, what's up, Fred? Yep, hey, did you get that report done? Okay, great, thanks, appreciate it. Just be pro- as professional as you go. And, and you know what, you actually have to be careful. Don't be like snarky about it. Yeah. 
be legitimately like, oh, Fred, hey, did you get that? Is that report done? Oh, thanks. Appreciate it. Got it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Hey, let me know if you have any questions. I know you just got here, so let me know if you have any. Be totally professional. Be totally nice. And carry on with your freaking life. And by the way, while you're doing that, win. You know, go get promoted. Do a good job. Dominate in life. This guy's kind of digging his own little grave with the way he treated you. That's the way he's going to treat other people. All that stuff's going to come back to haunt him. That's what's going to happen. It's okay. Be, just be professional. Do a good job. Be thankful that you didn't overcommit to this dirtbag guy. Be thankful. And just treat him professionally and carry on. And look, I know everything I said is going to be hard. I know it's hard to do that. I know it is. I know it is. But here's the thing. Let's say you're angry. What would you want to do if you were angry? You would want to punish him somehow. Mm-hmm. Cut his tires. Uh, you know, spray paint on his car. Yeah. Uh, what, you know, name the thing. What's the other? Vandalize his stuff. Yeah. Send him a bunch of pizzas, you know, uh, on Uber Eats, whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this kind of stuff, right? Harass him some way. Make yeah. him pay. Yeah. Let me tell you, the best way, the best form of vengeance here is to be a totally cool person and carry on with your life. Mm. And one day he'll wake up, look around, and go, damn, I blew it. Mm. And that's where you're at. And again, I don't, I don't, I'm not encouraging you to be spiteful. Mm. I'm actually encouraging you to take the high ground and be a good person. But I am saying mm. that the, if you have that revenge in your brain, mm. the best way to get it is just to be a great person. And carry on with your life. That's the best. That's the best thing to do. That's that's that 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 angry uh, anger that you have that you want to lash out. The best way to satisfy that anger is just go be an awesome person. Be in awesome shape. Be in, uh, be stable. Be professional. Get promoted. Do a good job. Have friends. Have a nice life. Don't worry about this dude. That's what you do. That's how you win. That's how you have a good life. There you go. You ever heard the expression revenge body? Yes, yes. Or revenge makeover? Yeah, yep, I've heard of it. So, uh, although I don't advocate for revenge, because that's like whatever, revenge body, that's kind of (laughs) like hitting two birds with one stone in a way. Yeah, yeah. Where you can get your quote unquote revenge, but hey man, you improved your health, it's in a your body, way. you know, yeah, you're doing, going, going in the right direction. Hopefully the vengeance will wear off and boom, you're left with a great body. See what I'm saying? Better than you were before. So it's almost like a good thing. Plus, which I think is more important if you can pull it off. The stuff that you, or this is mm-hmm. what you say, you said, you said this for a while where if you're hit with a reality, hey, this wasn't the right person for me. Doesn't feel like that, I know. But mm-hmm. the fact is that it's true. Like I know a guy, we both know him, I'm not going to bust him out, but we know a guy where he, he, he got married, had a kid, they get in arguments, this and that, this and that. Three years later, the kid's three years old. She is like, oh, I'm breaking up with you. Oh, by the way, the kid's not yours. Mm-hmm. Devastating, right? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, my, my wife of three or my kid, three years old, it's not mine, all this stuff. Devastating, feel devastating, but hey, you know what? He got off scot-free. Mm-hmm. A cycle girl is going to have a kid with someone else behind his back, still be continue to be married, make him raise the kid. A girl that would do that, that's not wife material. Mm-hmm. And he, he got away scot-free from that thing. Look, it sucks. He went through some bumps. I get it. But yeah. he got away scot-free. 
So if you can understand that part of it, I think that that's really the, the thing that's yeah. going to make things all good. Like, hey, that wasn't yeah. the person you, you thought they were. And yeah, yeah. And that was, I was just going to go back and reiterate the old breakup talk, yeah. right? Like, hey, this guy that seemed like a good guy, yeah. that guy doesn't exist. That guy's kind of a liar. Yeah. That guy, well, rephrase that. That guy's a liar. He's a, he's he's a little bit narcissistic. He's thinking about himself. He's not thinking about you. He used you to get a job, sounds like to me. So you don't want this person in your life. Thank God you get to know that right now. Yeah. Scot-free. Yeah. Well, not scot-free, got a little emotional, got a little, got some tears. We, t- we shed some tears right. on the scene. We get it. It's part of the gig sometimes. Part of the gig sometimes. But those tears, you know, they go down the drain. Yeah. The face dries off. Yeah. We wake up tomorrow. We go kick ass in life. That's yeah. what we're doing. Yeah. And he's left with being the guy who dumped the very yeah. girl who helped get him the job. And, yeah. you know, and he's still that guy. He's going to continue to be that guy. Kind of a thing. All right. Check. Next question. Jocko and Echo. I've served, I've served as a firefighter for 15 years and absolutely love my job. There's nothing else in the world I want to do. Recently, due to the staffing profile of my brigade, there is a lack of experience firefighters entering the promotion process to become OIC. There's a lot less experienced firefighters that are attempting to move up the ladder who are not being successful, causing a shortfall in the required number of officers. I'm beginning to feel the pressure to take the next step in my career from my peers and my OICs and enter the promotion process. I've never really felt compelled to go for promotion before as I enjoy the role of firefighter and I've never seen myself as an officer. I've listened to you for a long time and read the majority of books you've written, so I know leadership and incident, leadership and incident command skills are abilities that can be learnt, taught, and developed. Is the fact that I'm being encouraged to move up and feel it's what I should do as opposed to having burning desire to be an OIC the right call? I would love to hear both your opinions on the thought, I think. Well, for, for one thing, there's some questions that we get asked that I will absolutely provide some insight, but there's only one person that can answer this question, and that's you, because you're in this position and you know yourself. And there's gonna be some things that you have to weigh out. There's, you're gonna have to take a step back, you're gonna have to detach, you're gonna have to write down the pros and cons, right? What's good about staying the firefighter? What's good about becoming an officer? What's bad about staying a firefighter? What's bad about becoming an officer? Detach from these things, write out those pros and cons, and then do an assessment. And, and you can get guided by that but at the same time, so, so you can get guided by that. What do I think? I think you should definitely be happy with what you do for work, right? So if you're happy just being a firefighter, that's really what you love and that's where your passion is, I get that. I have a friend that was in the fire department, he was an engineer, like, so he was the driver for his whole career, 30 something years. Didn't want to be captain, he wanted to be the driver. He felt like that was his control position. He felt that's what he was good at. He That's what he did. Didn't want that extra responsibility of other things. He didn't want to be the, the on-scene commander. He didn't want to be the incident commander. He wanted to be the driver, he's a good driver. That's what he loved. And, and that's what he did for his whole career, 30 plus years. So if that's you, and I will say, I have not known too many people like that. I have not known too many people like that that were like, hey, this is my thing. This is what I'm gonna do. This is what I like doing. 
I'm going to stay. I'm not worried about promotion. I'm not worried about money. I don't mind that, that, you know, how many people do you see get promoted over you in 35 years? That means your whole career, you're watching some new guy come and six years later, he's above you. Eight years later, he's above you. And this guy was okay with that. Ego was, was under control. So if that's you and you just don't actually have the passion and you do have the passion for that job on the front lines, okay. But here's the thing. Growth and leadership and getting out of your comfort zone over time is going to be gratifying in a way that is likely more gratifying than just doing what is easy for you and doing what you like to do, right? You know, I mean, Echo Charles was a bouncer in a nightclub. Mm-hmm. Pretty good at it. Sure. Uh, in your comfort zone. Sure. Uh, not, mu- not much challenges. Challenges? Uh, ch- yeah, as far as later on, yeah. Yeah, I was in my comfort zone for sure. So you're in your comfort yeah. zone. Not a bad job, you know? The hours are kind of what you like, you know? You get to sleep in, stay up late, you know, meet people. There's not a huge amount of responsibility. There's no one one calling you. Like, let me ask you this. How many times when you were a, a, a bouncer did someone call you on your day off to, like, ask you about a situation? Yeah, I think that. No, <laughs> like so. maybe they needed you to cover for somebody. I get that, but yeah, most different. of the time it was like no one was calling you up. Hey, Echo, we got a situation. You no, no. So this was a a job that you were very, very comfortable in. That being said, over time, you need to put into your calculus that stepping up and taking challenges and growing is going to be gratifying in a different way, and I think it might be in a more positive way. Plus, also put that in your calculus, also put into your calculus that if you don't get promoted to be put in charge, guess what, somebody else will. Who is that person? Who are they? They, oh, they really wanna get promoted? That's what they really want, is to get promoted and get put in charge? Wait a second, there's red flags right there, right? So meanwhile, you look up in five years and you got people above you in the chain of command whose goal in life was to get promoted and be in charge. Now, how's that work out? Can be a little bit of a negative. So put that in your calculus. So, you know, I think ultimately if I, if I was to guess an answer for this, I would probably say that, you know, if you wanna wait a little bit to put in the, for promotion, Okay, here's the thing. I think you'll look up sooner rather than later and say, man, I wish I would have put in a promotion package last year because now I'm working for Fred over here. Mm. And Fred's got a bad attitude. Fred just did, like whatever. Mm. Or you're gonna look up in a year and say, man, I think I could do a better job or I, I, you know, I'm getting tired of this normal normal frontline job. I got it mastered, Mm. now what? So think through that. You're the only one that can make this decision. You're the only one that can make this decision. You're the one that has to go to work every day. I don't have to do, go do your job. And if you really don't want to be in a leadership position, if that's like, if you're passionate against that, I would say don't do it. But if you're a little bit scared or maybe you have a little imposter syndrome and that's what's holding you up, I would push through that. That's my opinion. 
Right, we got one more. Uh, good afternoon. Major thanks for all the content. I have, qu I have a question regarding peer relationships and competition. However, uh, I'm currently attending the, an Army school with other officers of the same rank. Peer evaluations and class rankings are part of this course. I have struggled with my mentality around these peer relationships. Many things are competitive, and I rub some people the wrong way by putting out high effort and holding out or holding myself to a higher standard. How do you effectively manage these relationships when in many ways you are competing with your peers on individual tasks? Thanks again for the content and your time. I put life together back in 2017 and wouldn't be where I am today without these podcasts. Awesome. So this is a guy, this is a little information he put in here. He's in the Army National Guard. He's got obligations as a platoon leader. You know, he's been playing the game. He's building relationships. But now he's in the uh, Army school with other officers, same rank. And you got peer evaluations and you got class rankings and they're part of the course. And th these things get competitive, right? Now, sometimes you rub people the wrong way by putting out high effort and holding myself to a higher standard. You see what we're getting at here? I'm already a little bit nervous. Because if you think you rub some people the wrong way, it's actually, it's not a good sign. It's not a good sign. One reason that you might be rubbing people the wrong way is that when you say that you put out high effort and you hold yourself to a higher standard, when you say that to us, they're gonna kind of feel that, right? Intent has a smell. Intent has a smell. So when you say, I put out a hard, high standard, they feel that. They feel that you think you put out a higher standard than them, therefore they think that you're a little bit better than them, therefore, yes, you're rubbing them the wrong way. So we're a little nervous, you're a little bit nervous. A little bit nervous about, about trying to help, about, about these other people in the competition, the class ranking. Let me ask you this. What if instead of competing, you help them? How would, what, what would happen then? I mean, look, you did your best, of course, but what if you also attempted to help the others? You attempted to help them. Maybe with land navigation, I don't know what kind of course you're going through, I'll, just make some assumptions here or make some educated guesses. Maybe you're going through land navigation and there's a couple people that maybe they could use a little help, but you decide I'd rather beat them in land navigation than help them. Maybe Echo doesn't know how to set the declination in his compass. So I just let it kind of slide and say, good luck out there, buddy. Mm -hmm. Maybe he doesn't know how, maybe Echo doesn't know how to read the terrain as well as I do. And I think, well, I'm definitely going to get the best grade on this. No one's going to know. No one's gonna know I didn't help him. So now what happens? I get a better grade than Echo, yes! I get a superior grade, I get a higher class rank. Okay, what's happening on those peer evals though? So my short term win is I beat Echo Charles in land nav, but what happens to my peer evaluation? Now what if I pulled Echo aside and said, hey man, tomorrow afternoon you got a little time off, let me take you out to the compass course and let me just give you some terrain fam and make sure you know how to set the declination in your compass, bro. I saw, I saw you had some trouble, though. let me help you, help you out. What, is Echo now gonna beat me in the compass course? Probably not, I mean he is 
doesn't know what he's doing and I'm just trying to teach him. But even if he does, whoa, what? What is, how does Echo Charles rank me on peer evaluations? I probably just won. I probably mm-hmm. became the number one peerist. Mm-hmm. What if um, there's some test that Echo doesn't quite understand y- you know, the material for? And I got my flashcards and I ask him a couple questions. He doesn't know the answer. And I go, well, it looks like I'm going to beat him on that. Instead, I say, hey, Echo, here, let's go through these flashcards. Here's the material we got to memorize. Here, let's work with me. I'll work with you. We'll get this stuff. And now Echo gets a good grade on the test. Maybe even beats me. What about the locker inspection? Right? And Echo's not good with his iron. And every time he irons his pants, they're all, they, they don't have the crease in the wrong spot or they have their crease in the wrong spot. And I'm looking at Echo going, well, looks like I'm going to beat him. He just can't even iron his pants. And I beat him on the inspection. And I get a higher grade. But imagine if I go, hey, man, let me show you how to iron these pants. I know it's a pain, but here we go. And I teach you how to do it. And you become self-sufficient. What do you do with my peer evaluation? So if you help other people, look, you might bring them up to your level. They might even beat you. They might even beat you. But let me tell you, there's nothing more important than not just the peer evaluations themselves, but the actual peer assessment of you as a human. It doesn't matter. Look, peer evaluation might count for one-tenth of your overall class ranking. It might count for 60% of your class ranking. I don't care. Maybe not for this specific school, but your reputation that you're building lasts a lifetime. And it's actually the most important score. And no one will remember what grade you got on whatever test it was, but they will remember if you pulled alongside and you gave them some help, you helped them study, you helped them iron, you helped them learn about land navigation. If you put the team above your own individual competitiveness, that is how you win the long game. That is how you become a good leader. And that will be recognized in it. But like I said, it might not be recognized in this specific school. But over time, that attitude will absolutely be the strategic victory. So that's what I would do. I would put the team first. I would help the team. And I would become a better human being. (sighs) With that, thanks everybody for joining us here on The Underground. As always, you know how to support us, and we appreciate your support across the board at jockofuel.com, at originusa.com, at jockostore.com, at echelonfront.com, at warriorkid.com. Appreciate all your support in all those different aspects, and especially thank you for supporting us here on the underground where we will remain free. Always. And until next time, this is Echo. And Jocko, out.